often do you buy deodorant? I bought some yesterday, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Because this is like something I've been wondering. Like, how often are you supposed to go through deodorant? Like, do I use deodorant at the pace you're supposed to use deodorant? Or am I using it too fast or slow? I'm curious. I don't use stick deodorant. I use spray deodorant. Like, you know, the Dove spray ones? Because stick deodorant, like, clogs my pores and then it just ends up being like really painful whenever I get those clogged pores so I just oh, use ouch. spray deodorant but I also like don't use deodorant that often like I'm not a stinky person okay let's get that straight first of all I am not a stinky person I just never leave my apartment anymore like especially during COVID so like oh. I'm always sitting in the air-conditioned like area of my apartment yeah. I don't I'm not sweating and I don't stink either and I regularly shower. Okay, so the need for the good smelling spray juice is gone now. Yeah, that's, and that's I don't have that much body odor anyway. So like And I think that's acceptable. Yeah, for me it's more like, you know, I'm keeping myself clean. I'm showering, you know, every day, making sure that I clean everything properly. I'm just like really scared of using deodorant too often because I did that like when I was younger and I like dealt with a lot of like skin issues. So I'm just like trying to just like decrease it. Yeah, that's wow. I wonder why it caused so much. I didn't even know like deodorant could cause skin issues. Like I guess that makes sense. But for me, it's just like grab your trusty aluminum free stick of Old Spice. Go on with your day. I don't know. I just feel like, like I don't buy it enough. Am I using enough? God, I'm scared. Do I smell bad, Aria? I mean, the majority of the time that we've known each other, <laughs> everything's been online. Oh, that's true. So, that's true. Um, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, but I honestly, also, I use deodorant with aluminum. It doesn't bug my armpits that much, but like, that's, I don't have a choice mm-hmm. because all of the spray deodorants come with aluminum. It's just a it's just a trade-off that I must make. I don't know why it's so important in our society that we smell good, but um I'm glad we do because when someone doesn't smell good, it's a it's a whole thing. Like it's a whole it's not good. It's not pleasant. It reminds me of the olden times. Yeah, and Ren, you're kind of right. When someone does not smell that good, it's a whole thing. And in France, it was a whole thing. Like Versailles in France, in Paris was smelly. Like people did not shower. So they just changed clothes frequently to kind of get rid of that smell. But like they did not wash themselves. When, When was this? When are you talking about? I'm talking about like during the reigns of like King Louis the 14th and King Louis the 15th. What, 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 what year was that? I imagine that for most of its existence, yeah, the 17th Paris century has been pretty smelly. Maybe not now. I haven't been. I'm sure it's not smelly now. I don't mean to offend any Parisians. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm pretty sure they're you know. <laughs> I mean, Paris is like the land of like I I feel like they're very clean over there. You know, they have oh, like yeah. perfumes. They smell good. And you've got your bidets. Bidets, bidets. Are extremely hygienic. That yeah. word itself, bidet, you don't pronounce the T. Don't know why the French please <laughs> explain why you don't pronounce some of your letters, but that's okay. Getting back to our regularly scheduled programming. Wait, why did I say it that way? Scheduled. I don't know. Scheduled. Is that how that's scheduled. how Americans say it, right? Like schedule, right? Scheduled. Okay. Yeah. 
I just hear schedule a lot because like my parents speak British English. Yeah, that works. I hear schedule. I hear schedule, and it just schedule sounds better than schedule. So like so professional schedule. Anyway, anyway, moving back, moving back. Okay, the Palace of Versailles also didn't have toilets. They did not have toilets or plumbing during the reigns of King Louis the Fourteenth and King Louis the Fifteenth. So that means King Louis the Fourteenth wiped his pee-pee-poo-poo area with a cloth and changed clothes multiple times a day. King Louis the Fifteenth installed his own like early water closet. He called it a water closet, but it's essentially like ancient version of the toilet <gasps> wait, from England. Wait. Is that what we call it? The loo? Wait, why? Because it's King Louis. <gasps> wait, I'm doing the research right now. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because it's England. The early water closet from me. Oh my God. Did I just crack it? No, 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 no. Actually, no, but it is French related. It is French related. So I'm reading it from plumworld.co.uk. The reason why the loo is called the loo. But loo, despite being a very British word for toilet, loo is actually derived from the French phrase garder l'eau, which means like to watch out for the water. So over time, low became loo and it was applied to the toilet. Wow. That's <laughs> fascinating. I thought I was really onto something, but thank you for, for enlightening me to the, to the real meaning of the loo. Of course, of course. I mean, here at The Unfinished Mind, we strive for truth. Yeah, it's all, it's all about digging for the truth. That sounded like an ad you would hear <laughs> in a book or movie 1984 from the telecom thingy it was completely intended to sound like okay awesome we're brainwashing you everyone welcome to the unfinished mind (laughs) gosh this episode is off to a great start anyway so so in france they also had communal latrines which emitted strong odors and often caused blockages and sewage leaks so like imagine all of that stuff just getting blocked and leaked up when the latrines were closed people would urinate in other places in the palace such as in like passageways and behind like stairwells and pillars and like curtains just everywhere that's why versailles was stinky all right i guess the people of france were just like stray cats like they just just do their business wherever they wanted i okay cool I mean, That's when fun. everything is like smelling bad already, just a little bit of an addition doesn't really make it yeah, sorry, any worse. I didn't, I didn't catch that. I was busy removing my nostrils completely so that I didn't have to deal with this. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Commodes, also called the chaise percée in French, were portable toilets that had a padded seat and a pot underneath. So essentially you're taking your, your little cushion that's wrapped around a pot and you're using that as a portable toilet. But they, this is the funny part. They were also used as portable baths. So the same thing you're using as a toilet (laughs) is the same as your portable bathing station. That's, I mean, you know, I'm all for 
uh, reduce, reuse, recycle, but that just feels fundamentally incorrect. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay, I do want to elaborate for our audience that we are coming from a very modern hygiene kind of perspective. So we're not like making fun of the cultures that we will discuss, but it's just fascinating to us how everything was back really. Then. Really what it is, is I'm grateful that it's that they did this and troubleshooted all of the, the ways to do it like incorrectly and right wrong, so that we now have uh, at least some improvement from this situation. That's yeah. really, I'm mm-hmm. glad they did this for us and bit that bullet. Thank you, French ancestors. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad I got to bathe in my own pee pee poo poo place. It's very oh, nice. Yes, yes. And yeah. of course, like, you know, there were portable baths, portable toilets. So, you know, they were going around with a pot of their own bath water and their own pee-pee-poo-poo. So you wanted to get rid of it somewhere, right? Because you want to keep using it. Although it was forbidden to throw out the waste, like out your window into the street, it still happened because no laws can contain the human race. Mm-hmm. And subjects would engage in dry cleaning where they would use a dry cloth or cloth soaked with a sour odor to wipe themselves since they did not have their own baths sour odor are we talking garlic you know what it could be anything red it could be anything all right sour patch kids cool (laughs) anyway So, of course, there was a lot of smell, and the French today are known for one thing. I mean, many things, but, like, one thing that they are known for is perfume. So a lot of perfume was used to attempt to mask the smell. So sachets containing the perfume were even made to be placed in cloth and inside clothing so that they could mask the bodily smell that was emitting from their armpits and every inch of their skin. Wow. That was, that was one part of Europe. The other part of Europe, you know, I think they were, I think they were doing good. Yeah. The other part, the other part of Europe, the Italy leg of Europe, South of France, we saw some unique hygiene practices there as well. You may be familiar with the Roman bath. So the Roman baths were located in Bath, Somerset, England, actually, not, not Italy. So that's, that's great. Um, this was near like a hot spring, the Roman baths, and they were constructed between 60 and 70 CE, common era. So pretty early in the, in the timeline there. The Roman baths were about 640 kilometers of aqueducts, which we all learn about in elementary school because it's a fun word, aqueduct. And the water was heated using a furnace and a hypocost heating system. There are three types of baths. And people often spent time in all three of them. We've got the cold bath, which is the frigidarium, the warm bath, the tepid arium, and the hot bath, the called darium. That is perhaps the most entertaining nomenclature I've seen for something in, in quite some time. Big fan of that. Um, there's also like an open bailing pool where you could just go and be in the open as opposed to like a closed in situation where you're, you know, hanging out with all your pals naked and getting bathed. Uh, Sounds like a great time. Um, The springs were viewed as sacred by the Romans and they would throw their valuables into the water to please the Roman gods. 
And there's also statues of gods, an altar, and elaborate decorations in the baths. Visitors viewed the baths as a place of worship. It was like a little temple where you could go and clean up and praise the Roman god of your choice. So water pipes like the aqueducts and things like that were taxed pretty heavily. So people would also visit the local baths to like take care of their personal hygiene because it was cheaper than using water pipes in their own homes and things like that. Makes sense. You know, we'd, we'd all go to the YMCA if it were completely free, I'm sure. But these springs also had reputations to cure illnesses and they would take baths to get be rid of their ailments. Um, to get into the baths, your visitors would pay an entrance fee. So I guess it is like the YMCA. They would pay an entrance fee, strip naked, and exercise to prepare for bathing. Little warm-up stretches, I suppose. What do you do to warm up to, to bathe? What's your bathing warm-up, Aria? Uh, my bathing warm-up is jumping out of bed and falling into my bathtub. <laughs> falling. Wow. Such grace, such beauty. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of bruises on my hips from falling. Oh I bet. Yeah, just just black and blue, I'm sure. Oh my god. What a mess. Uh well, anyways, if you if you need to soothe your bruises, the caldarium was like a sauna. So you oh. could go to the, one of those hot baths, get your a nice little warming treatment for those hip bruises. And it was intended for visitors to sweat the dirt off their bodies. So it wasn't just like get clean. It was like get clean, but get get sweaty with it but you'll be clean afterwards. Let that sweat and that water clean you. Yeah. Rinse it, rinse it out from the inside, (laughs) inside out. Oh. Uh, (laughs) Masseurs at the bath would also rub scented oil onto visitors' skin, scrape off the oil and give massages. Listen, I don't know if I'd be okay with it. If I'd be okay with being oiled up by the local bath masseur. While you're um, naked? Yeah, well, naked. I just don't know if that's for me personally, but I really oh. admire that. It sounds lovely, um, but I think I think I couldn't do it. I don't think, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I guess I guess you know if that's what you if that's what you're into. Um, the baths were also used as a place to socialize. So you know, go hang out with your your pals, your your buds, your your homies, if you will, mm-hmm. and and have a great old time. I mean, it sounds great. They were being the clean ones you know, compared to England, like London or France or any of those countries in Western Europe that were known to not really shower that often. The Romans were setting a precedence in Europe. But another another culture that was quite clean, like the Romans, were a lot of cultures in Asia. And we're we're really only going to talk about Japanese culture and a Chinese culture. But we're not really going to go into depth into the other countries like South Asia, but, you know, just letting you know, some amazing plumbing stuff was happening in South Asia. They were doing the most as well. So in Japan, there were these early steam baths that were built into natural caves. So Sento is a Japanese communal bath where visitors pay to enter. Does that sound familiar, Ren? It does. It does sound familiar. Sounds like the Roman baths. I'm just saying. And then onsen is a Japanese public bath that uses water from a hot spring. So we had, you know, already there's some parallels that we're seeing. And then osoji is 
and end of the year house cleaning is viewed as a ritual for sweeping away bad fortune and sin for a fresh start to the year. It's like spring cleaning. But That's it's actually something that my family does, except I think it comes from uh, Polish origin. That's oh, so Ukraine, Ukraine and Ukraine. Anyways, it's the same like sentiment of sweep the old year out of your house and clean at the end of the year. That's so cool. I mean, you know, cultures are around the world are more similar than we think they are. That is true. That is true. And then in China, the Qingming Festival is a traditional Chinese festival that involves tomb sweeping, which is where people would visit and remember their ancestors by cleaning their tombs and making offerings. Wow, that sounds really, that sounds really nice. Even in the afterlife, hygiene important. Absolutely, even in the afterlife. And speaking of the afterlife... (laughs) Let's dive into something that caused a lot of people to go into it. You know, the plague. You've heard of the, the, the plague, the bubonic plague of the 1300s, 12 to 1347 to 1351. You know the one, yes? Yes, I'm aware. It's kind of given me some trauma. It's given me some, I'm living through one right now. But yes, continue, Ren. Yeah, I think we, we all feel for the 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 people enduring the plague a lot more than we used to feel for them. Um, A lot fewer rat jokes, I suppose. So in the medieval ages in Europe, we, as we talked about earlier, um, I mean, granted the King Louis era was a little after the plague era. So you can only imagine how much worse it was (laughs) during the plague era um, in regard to hygiene. There were no sewage systems or fresh water supply in Europe. And they were, they would, literally just throw their waste in the streets. And it was very hard to keep streets clean due to the sheer volume of human waste and gross gross juices that come from the human body. Um, the contents of public latrines, which were early toilets and essentially pits that people would dig to relieve themselves in, they would empty those into the same rivers that were used for cooking and cleaning water So already off to a a poor start here. Um, It was also really overcrowded. So there was a lot of waste all the time from all of these people and animals. And the overcrowdedness and unsanitary conditions of the streets, the waterways, and the living spaces promoted the development and spread of disease, thus leading us to the epic and horrible years-long plague. The bubonic plague was spread by infected fleas biting a host and humans and animals like rats and spreading it to and fro. During this period, lots of trade and exploration was happening. Um, The plague was spread to different areas by sailors, rats, cargo, etc. It was a grand old mess. And although sanitation in the medieval period was lacking, as, as I've thoroughly described, mm-hmm. the plague did influence the creation and implementation of sanitary measures, such as observation stations, medical inspections, isolation hospitals and quarantine, disinfection, control of the movement of tra- and trade of people, improvements in sanitation with the development of methods to purify water, garbage and sewage disposal, as well as food inspection. They also came up with some very inventive uh, medical practices during the plague, such as trying to prevent the spread of disease by stuffing their long plague masks, you know, the bird beak looking ones, 
full of various herbs and spices in an attempt to thwart the plague. But I'm not sure if it, it was really effective at thwarting the bubonic plague itself, but it definitely probably made those streets smell good. And I support that completely. Also, I just was looking it up, but there are a group of historians that are trying to recreate the scents of 17th century London. <laughs> this is not an exhibit I would like to visit or be a part of. Honestly, I kind of want to go just to know, you know? I would go if equipped with a plague snout filled with herbs and spices that would mask the horrible, horrible stench of the human waste. No, but okay, 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 listen, okay. This is, I'm just going to read this like paragraph off right. this article, right? right? Lay it on me. So this $3.3 million Odoropa project was announced this week, and it's going to use artificial intelligence to sift through more than 250,000 images and thousands of texts, including medical textbooks, novels, and magazines in seven languages. And then those researchers are going to use like machine learning and artificial intelligence to train computers to analyze these references in texts to smells like incense and tobacco. And then once cataloged, researchers working with chemists and perfumers will recreate roughly 120 cents with the hope that museum curators will incorporate some of the owners into exhibits to make visits more immersive or memorable for museum goers. That's awesome. That is great. That's wonderful. I'm gonna, I'll be skipping the trip. I'll be calling in sick that day. And it's Can't a recent article too. It was in late 2020. That's wild. You know, I kinda, I hope they're successful. I want to read the reviews on Google. Me too. Me too. From people who didn't know that it was going to be interactive scent-wise and go and are like, this smelled awful. This sewage, this plumbing? Yeah. One star, one star for bad plumbing. Oh yeah. Speaking of plumbing, just just a little background about what plumbing is like when we were referring to plumbing what we refer to so plumbing is a system that conveys fluids for use so whether that be water to you or your human waste away from you so essentially it conveys potable water sewage and septic systems drainage and it uses hydronics and it originated during ancient civilizations for public bathing potable water and wastewater removal so around 4,000 BCE, clay sewer pipes were introduced. So you, you already have like this ancient like clay sewer pipe thing that's going on. And then in 2,400 BCE, copper pipes were used in Egypt. And, Ooh. you know, during the Roman Empire, they used lead for piping and baths. Maybe, you know, that probably affected the things that they were seeing. Uh you know, the, the long lives that they were living. Yeah, but it was a bad move for sure. Oh, Definitely a, a rough one. Glad that they figured that out before we were born too. Uh, anyway, so the development of waste disposal systems were largely implemented in the 1800s when cities became densely populated and disease-ridden. You know, the industrial, the industrial revolution was doing the most. And I think the Industrial Revolution helped bring 
bring about these disposal systems, these widespread, really advanced disposal systems. And after World War II, uh, and when more people were aware of lead poisoning, copper piping replaced lead piping. Thank God. We love that. We do. So now cities send waste to sewage treatment plants to purify the water. And then we use that water again. Imagine some of the water that Abraham Lincoln drank might be the water that you're drinking right now. Wow. It's all recycled. I think, I, I think I'd really like to drink some Abe water, some Lincoln. <laughs> Abe water? Yeah, I think that could be fun. That's exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Well, I hope, I hope, um, I hope one day to, to, to touch the, the water that, that one of my favorite human beings has touched. Right, right. In the great water cycle. Moving right along. It's cool that cities do that for us. Really nice uh, infrastructure there that, that um, some urban areas have. Speaking of which, and urban, urban areas and city cleaning and the like, um, cities also keep our streets clean so that we don't have dirty, nasty, poo-poo streets like the people in the bubonic plague did. So thank you to municipal workers that do that. It's very wonderful, very nice. Um, street sweepers is a common theme here of, of, of citywide cleaning. And that is a person or machine that cleans the streets. Um, those are so scary. If you see them like at, like if you're driving in the early night or wait, early morning or late night, and you see these big, huge trucks that are just like spreading dust on the road for some reason. And you're like, what are you doing? I'm scared. You know what that reminds me of? Huh? Those like street sweepers in the movie Robots. Yes. Where they- <laughs> it's like the street sweepers in the movie Robots. I'm like, I'm driving faster to get away from them because I'm scared they're going to sweep me up too. Yeah, because like, uh, like the robot, if the robot even looks like it's like slightly junky, it'll like yeah. pick it up. If they That see- is not cool. How unclean I look. They're going to sweep me right up. Oh, for our audience, Ren does not look that there's unclean. A, there's a rat on the streets. We gotta sweep that up. <laughs> Anyways, street sweepers were implemented to maintain the aesthetic and cleanliness of an area. Back in the day when these, like, before the big machines that me and Arya have been talking about were a thing, a person would just come and scrape the waste off the street by hand, which it sounds like a bad job, but thank you. Thank you so much to those guys and gals and in-betweens and neithers. Nowadays, machines on trucks vacuum and rid the streets of debris that would otherwise contribute to pollution and runoff. So super important for... Uh, pollution-related reasons and preventing that. Um, And again, shout out to all the municipal workers who do this because they're the best and we love them. Of course, we love them, love them. And they're so essential to keeping our world clean. Yeah, yeah. Like, Which we'll go into detail about that a little bit later, like why society is a little mean towards them. But I wanted to discuss the science. So the chemistry of hygiene, a lot of OCHEM 2 students learn about this reaction called saponification, and that reaction is actually used to create soap. That's where the word soap comes from, saponification. Oh, eh. Anyway, so 
you put a bunch of chemicals together, they saponify and they make soap. And a lot of heat is released during that reaction. So you kind of want to allow room for that soap to expand and like do its thing but it makes the soap that we use and is so highly valuable and necessary to keep hygiene and fun fact fun fact ren actually told me this Mm -hmm. fun fact your body will saponify if you die in water so all of the chemicals that make up your body if you die in water your body will start turning into soap yep you start to turn into soap and your skin falls off and it's horrifying. Anyway, moving away from that very graphic <laughs> image, um, you can all, you can saponify a lot of things. So like I've heard like women make soap out of their own breast milk, which I think is really cool because breast milk contains a lot of like amino acids and like really, it's just a really powerful like source of food, which is why it's so good for babies. I mean, it sounds like it'd be good for your skin. Yeah. A baby soft. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can saponify, but the chemistry after it, there's actually a very simple chemical reaction that you can even do at home to make soap. And then perfume and, you know, masking your smells. That industry is also very chemical, just combining sense with one another seeing if their chemical makeup complements the other chemical makeup seeing if it contrasts that is how perfumes are made perfumes are a very very chemical thing obviously because it's made out of you know alcohols and chemicals and stuff anything you'd like to add red i mean i just i think it's absurd that we spend so very much money on these when you could just maybe grab like some flowers and put them in water and bam, you got the same stuff that they're selling for $5 million at, at the Gucci store. But, but much more natural. Mm-hmm. All natural. So rose water, rose water. Rose water. Good smelling, easy to make. Anyway, so the world has come very far in its hygiene journey. And now humans are living way longer than we were back then. So hygiene prolongs your life. Keep it clean. Makes you live longer. Keep it clean in the streets and keep it alive in the uh, deets. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Didn't make a lot of sense, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. So a key event in understanding, like, we, like I mentioned, this journey has been interesting, tumultuous. It's led us to this point. But a key event in our understanding of hygiene was centered around sepsis. So sepsis is a serious illness caused by the body's response to infection. And it was centered around sepsis after childbirth. Enter Ignaz Semmelweis, a Hungarian physician known as the savior of mothers. He noticed that women with assistance from midwives developed sepsis only 2% of the time while those assisted by medical students developed it 16% of the time. What was going on? Well, after a colleague died from an infection acquired from a cut during an autopsy, Semmelweis drew a link between autopsies and sepsis. He introduced a policy of hand washing, which reduced cases of sepsis to under 3%. 
And although he was ridiculed at the time, he pioneered hygienic practices that revolutionized the medical field and would later be widely accepted as key to reducing mortality rates. And that's why those hospitals are so clean. It's yes. Because Mr. Semmelweis, Dr. Semmelweis. Thank you, Dr. Semmelweis, uh, an absolute icon. He was crazy, but he was great, and we love him. Love him. Speaking of crazy but great, but also just genuinely did great things for the medical industry, there's another uh, guy, another scientist, Dr. Man, I would like to discuss. James Berry, who is a pioneer of sanitary practices in medicine. James Berry was actually a transgender man who took his brother's name in 1789. Um, oh, sorry, not brother. He took his uncle's name in 1789 after the death of his uncle. So that's super exciting. Um, he went to medical school impersonating uh, a man, like basically stole his identity so that he could actually be a man. It was really cool and something that was not being done in the 1700s. So shout out to James Berry, absolute icon. Happy June, happy Pride Month, everybody. Hey. Graduating at 22, age 22 from med school, James Berry was the first to perform a cesarean section where both the mother and the baby survives. This is the father of the C-section. He also advocated for better sanitary condition, conditions in military barracks, prisons, and asylums. Um, this also made James Berry a, uh, a, a man with a lot of enemies, and he had a very short temper. And so that was a bad mix. Lots of fighting, you can imagine, mm -hmm. between these people. But regardless of his colleagues' opinions, Dr. Berry was a very gifted physician and a public health advocate who improved countless lives uh, by creating the C-section. So James Berry and Ignaz Samuel's appreciation moment here on the podcast today. Yep, yep, we love it, we love it. So going back to something that I mentioned in the last like 10 minutes or so, but so the societal view of the cleaner, why do we view them as a quote unquote lower profession when they're so essential to kind of keeping this society together by doing what they do. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating um, to think that we see it as a lower profession and something that is like frowned upon because I mean, if you think back to like biblical times in the Middle East when feet washing and in, in, in Rome as well, um, when feet washing was like, a thing that you did to honor a person and it was considered like a really nice thing to do for someone and now it's just kind of devolved into like if you are cleaning after other people you are less than those other people even though you're you're literally like part of what makes our society function and what makes our lives uh able to last for so long and it's so important i mean i mean and it's seen in a lot of cultures and I know that in India, in Hinduism, we have the caste system, but the people who were in the lower castes, like the untouchables, the um, people who just who were lower in the caste system, they it was their responsibility to kind of clean up everything, to handle the cleaning of the toilets, to handle the cleaning of the plumbing, the sewage. So, you know, it's seen in many different cultures, just like how we view, unfortunately, cleaners today is lower than those that they are cleaning up after. 
it's kind of been this widespread view, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, it's definitely unfortunate. I mean, it makes sense. It's just kind of like how the cookie always crumbles in society that we end up seeing these people as, as lower, but. However, slowly we as a people can start to change our views about cleaners. They're so essential. And we've seen that through all of what's been happening for the past year through COVID, we've needed cleaners. We've, they're so essential to our society. So one by one, we can change our mindsets and be the start of the change. Yeah, that is what Ren and I would like to leave you with thinking for this week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Unfinished Mind. Next week, join us as we talk about some interesting things that go on at the time of the night. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful week. Goodbye.